details of our lives. All we have to do is trust him. And just leave it in his hands and say with the Lord Jesus, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Shall we just open in a word of prayer? Father, we just cry unto you today that you will speak to our hearts through your word this morning. Open our hearts and minds, Lord. May it not be my words that come forth, but yours. May it touch our hearts. May it challenge our lives. We just pray that you'll hide me behind the cross and speak through us the Holy Spirit today. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so when you read the Bible, it's good to, to ask yourself questions. Bill McDonald used to say, and Bill can attest to this, have a question mark for a brain. He used to, it was funny, it was humorous, but it's true. Have a question mark for a brain. Not a question like doubting question, but have a question mark, what does it mean? What does this text mean in its context? What does it mean to me in my life? That's the idea. So I asked myself this question. When the Lord Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what does that mean? How does the, how does the will of God operate in heaven? How do they do the will of God in heaven? Now we know in heaven with the Lord are all these angels and all the glorified saints are there in his presence. And I asked myself, how do they do the will of God in heaven? And believe me, it's much different than we do it here on earth, but we want to pattern our, our obedience after them. Well, they do it four ways, I believe, in heaven. Number one, they do God's will willingly. You don't have to force them. Number two, they do the will, the will of the Lord joyfully. They're rejoicing whatever God tells them to do. Number three, they do God's will immediately. They don't procrastinate. They don't hesitate. They do it. When God says it, they do it right away. And number four, they do God's will completely. They don't leave anything out. They don't cut any corners. They don't take any shortcuts. They do God's will. So this is how God's will, I believe, is done in heaven. It's done willingly, joyfully, immediately, and completely. And so if you turn that around to our lives, your life and my life, that's how he wants us to do his will today. Willingly, joyfully, immediately, and completely. Someone once said, do God's will at any cost. And you know, when you do God's will at any cost, it's going to pay tremendous dividends in your life. It's going to bring rewards both here on earth and in heaven when we do God's will. Well, let's look at our first point this morning, do it willingly. Can you imagine if the Lord gave the angel Gabriel or Michael or any of the other angels an assignment and he says, do it? Can you imagine if he says, no, I'm not going to do it? and stood there and said that to the Lord? Fortunately, the one angel that did rebel and disobey and had pride and elevated himself above God was Lucifer. And he was kicked out of heaven and swept away along with one-third of the angels. They had rebelled against God's will, totally and completely, and are in a rebellion, eternal rebellion to this day. But praise be to God for those two-thirds of the angels that are left, that do God's will, willingly. You don't have to tell them twice. They are going to do it willingly. And that's the way the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to do his will willingly. So we have to choose to do it. It's something that each one of us has. And you know, one of the strongest things there is in earth is not iron or steel or any of these kind of things. The strongest thing on earth is the human will. Believe me, I can attest to that. I have a strong will. 
we all have a strong will. If you read that book that talks about Calvary Road, it's a great book. It's a little small book. You can read it real quick. I recommend it. It talks about in that book the eye, the eye. That eye needs to bend into a C for Christ. So can you imagine taking that eye as, as strong as it is, and it has to be moved into becoming a C. And you can imagine when it moves, it's painful. It's painful. Our wills are strong, self-will. We see it in, in little kids, little babies, you see the self-will. You see it as you grow up. You see it in school. You see it at work. You see people have a strong will. And there's nothing wrong with having a strong will if that will is to do God's will. If you have a strong will to be committed to doing God's will, that's the kind of will he wants us to have. But to have a strong will for ourselves never, ever works. There's a very interesting story given to us in Matthew chapter 21 and verses 28 to 32. I'm going to read this story about two sons. And the father asked both sons to go out and work in his field. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 32. Ed's going to put it up, and I'll read it for you. It says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Jesus said, Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe in him. But tax collectors and harlots believed in him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe in him. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. Two sons. The first one, he says, no way. I'm not going to do it. I want to spend time with my friends. I want to go out and do some hobbies. I want to watch TV or movies. The first son, he's honest, but he's, on, he's wrong, but he says, I will not. And when we're sinners and we come to Christ in the beginning, we say, I will not. I will not have Jesus. But when he touches our heart and we repent and we get right with him, we say, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll accept Christ. I'll accept God's plan for my life. Now notice the second son is so polite, but he's so dead wrong. Notice he says, I will go, sir. Very formal though. Notice he calls his dad, sir. This is not good. When you have a personal relationship with God, he is our father. The Lord Jesus is our friend. We have a close personal relationship with him. Though the first son started off disobedience, he, disobedient, he repented. The second son looked good, he was religious, he thought all this, and that's why he's a picture of the Jews, because they, they had all the teaching of the Old Testament, all the ordinances, the laws, the sacrifices, but they didn't have Christ. And when Christ was there in their midst, they didn't want him. They said no to him, and they rejected him. In order for us to be successful in the Christian walk, we have to surrender our wills to the Lord and say, Lord, have your way. Have your will in my life. In Psalm 51, verse 17, the psalmist, 
who had, David, who had confessed his sin of adultery and murder before the Lord and had been forgiven, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. If we love the Lord so much, and we realize what he sacrificed for us on the cross, can we not sacrifice to do his will? Can we not put our will on the back burner, in fact, take it off the stove altogether, and put God's will in the foremost thinking of our minds? That's what he wants us to do this year. That's how he wants us to surrender to him. When we think about the Lord Jesus, he did the Father's will, and yet it was agony for him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed three times, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Three times he prayed that. And the sweat came down like large drops of blood. He knew the cost. He knew what he would have to do on the cross. And he was willing to do it. Number one, to honor the Father. Number two, to save us. And he was willing to do it. He willed to do the Father's will. May God give us this kind of will and desire to do God's will no matter what he asks us to do. When I think of the Old Testament and I think of Abraham and what God asked him to do in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, it is truly amazing. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to a mountain that I will show you and offer him up. Now that must have hit Abraham right in the heart. He must have thought, God gave me this son. Why is he asking me now to offer him up? But he didn't question it. He didn't doubt it. He didn't put it off. He willingly did it. Up to the point where in that story, he had the knife in his hand and he was about to put it into the heart of his son. And God stopped him. And he said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, do not harm your son now. I know that you fear God. Now I know it. He tested Abraham's faith. He tested it to the max. Could you handle that kind of test? Could I? I don't see how we could, but every test of God's will in our life that he uses is for our good, and he allows us to have the grace to do his will. Someone once said that God's enablement, God's grace, he gives us to do his will every day, and that's what we want to do. It was tough. It was hard, but Abraham was willing, and he had that choice. There was a lady named Henrietta Mears in her book, Dream Big, the Henrietta Mears Story. She wrote this, will is the whole man active. I cannot give up my will I must exercise it. I must will to obey. When God gives a command or a vision of truth, it is never a question of what he will do, but what we must do. To be successful in God's work is to fall in line with his will and to do it his way. All that is pleasing to him is a success. May God help us to have this way, that we say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing, and I'm trusting you. And Abraham knew this. He knew that even if he was to kill his son, God had the power to raise him from the dead. We see it in the text. We see it in the story. He knew that. Do we trust God and love him enough to know that he does know best? That when he does bring another plan, that it's going to work out for the best for us? We need to. 
Secondly, not only do we need to do God's will willingly, we need to do his will joyfully. Now, there's a difference between doing something to do it because we know it's right, we should, we know it's God's will. That's one thing. But it's taking it to a whole another level to do it joyfully. To do it joyfully. To do it with a smile in your heart as well as on your face. That's what the, that's what the uh, situation was with the Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Because it gives us Christ as the example of this kind of joy. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Lord Jesus didn't just do the Father's will willingly. He did it joyfully. He had a joy in his heart knowing that despite the pain, despite the cost, despite the sacrifice, the joy was going to be so incredible to save you, Melissa, to save you, Lorraine, to save you, Bob. He loved us that much. All he wants us to do is to have that same kind of joy flowing through us that when, you, when he says do it, we do it and we do it willingly and we do it joyfully. That's an important factor in life. Sometimes in life, God allows things in our lives where we can't smile about it. It's too overwhelming. It's too difficult to handle. And we may not be smiling on the outside, but we can still have the joy on the inside. Because joy on the inside is not dependent on our circumstances. It's a dependent on what Christ has done for us and what he's doing for us. That's where the joy comes in. We don't rejoice in the broken leg or in the cancer uh, surgery and treatments and some of these major catastrophes that happen in our lives. But we rejoice in the Lord for he loves us. He has a plan and he's going to work it out and we see his tenderness. We see his kindness for us. We see his love through it. And he guides us through it. In Psalm 40 and verses 7 and 8, now this verse is so beautiful, these verses, and they're continued in the book of Hebrews. They're quoted in Hebrews by the apostle Paul there. In Psalm 40 and verse 7, it says, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Can you say that this morning? Lord, I delight to do your will. I delight to do it. Even when it's not easy, even if it's really tough, and even when it's hard, we say, Lord, I delight to do it because you've given me this. You've allowed this in my life for a reason. You've brought it to pass. You're working on me like the potter works on the clay. Have your way, Lord, in my life. When we do that, when we make that conscious decision, he will give us not only joy, but he will give us peace in doing his will as well. You know, when you think of the Apostle Paul, he wrote so many wonderful letters, and you would think this man had an easy life because he wrote tremendous things. Well, he wrote a lot from prison. He spent many days, weeks, and months in a Roman dungeon. And through that, he could have got very discouraged. He could have given up. He could have said, well, God's taken away my ministry. He's put me in this prison. I can't be a blessing to anybody. Woe is me. He could have done that, couldn't he? But he didn't do it. In fact, he wrote to the Christians to encourage them. 
even in his distress and hardship and pain. And if you've ever been to one of these prisons, I mean, they're not like the prisons we have today. These dungeons were horrible, horrible places. And he wrote this in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Well, that would have been one thing if he had written it from a very nice house where he's on the Mediterranean, you know, on the veranda, looking out over the ocean and calm and nice. And it would be, you'd say, okay, rejoice. That's beautiful. But to think he's writing it from prison, chained to a Roman guard in, where it smelled really bad and it was a deplorable condition. And he said, rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in our circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord and what he's doing in our circumstances. And we've all gone through things. And maybe you're going through things this morning and you say, Lord, it's pretty overwhelming. What am I supposed to do? Just trust him and do his will. And he will work it out. He always does. He's so faithful to us. Someone once asked the question, where is real joy found? And the answer is simple, in Christ alone. Real joy is found in Christ alone. Now, you can have your team win the Super Bowl. You can, have, you can have any number of things happen to you at work. You can get a great award and get up before all the people. And all these things can happen. And you can have some happiness and some joy. But that's going to flee away. And pretty soon, you've got to go back to work on the Monday morning. And pretty soon, something else is going to happen and this and that. Not every team wins the championship every year, and they have to go through adversity. The bottom line is, when we have the Lord in our life, we can rejoice. Prime example yesterday, if anybody caught the game between Denver and New England where Tim Tebow was playing, and Adel mentioned his name the other day, it touched my heart so much. Because you always hear about athletes that get up when they win, and, they say, and they'll thank the Lord for their victory that they've won. How many have you ever heard when they lost the game it would say this. First of all, I want to thank my Lord Jesus Christ for giving me an opportunity to play this game. I want to thank my teammates and my coaches for supporting me. I mean, here's a man who lost the game and didn't just lose it, but lost it 45 to 10. Got completely beaten down, crushed. But he didn't crush his spirit. He still honored the Lord and gave glory to the Lord. We're not going to always win and be successful in life. But the world needs to see whether we win or lose, we still love the Lord and trust in Him. That we just don't trust the Lord when we're winning. We just don't trust the Lord when we're successful. We don't just trust the Lord when we're on top of the world. We trust Him when things go bad too. They need to see that real Christians suffer the same things they do. But the difference is we have Christ. That is the bottom line. That is the difference that gets me through every single day. Do God's will willingly. Do it joyfully, and thirdly, do it immediately. When the Lord asks us to do something, he doesn't want us to hesitate. He doesn't want us to procrastinate. He wants us to do his will. You know, sometimes when God gives us something to do, and I, this has happened to me, and you say, okay, I need to do this for the Lord, I need to do this for the Lord, but you set it aside because you're busy doing something else that seems to be more urgent, seems to be more important. But you know what happens when we put it off? You know what happens when we delay it, when we, when we put it on the back burner? We're going to forget to do it. We're not going to do it. We're going to lose out on a great blessing. If God wants you to do something and he says, do it now, do it now. Do it immediately. 
Don't let any grass grow under your feet. Do it immediately. You know, when the Lord Jesus went to that marriage supper at Cana of Galilee, and Mary, his mother, was there, and Jesus and all the disciples, and they ran out of wine. And she comes to Jesus, and she tells him about it, and then she goes to the servants, and she says this to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. John chapter 2 and verse 5, whatever he says to you, do it. Will you do that this year? If the Lord says it, will you do it? And will you do it willingly? Will you do it joyfully? Will you do it immediately without putting it off? It's a true test of obedience to do it according to the will of God. I was so blessed when I was thinking about Joseph, the husband of Mary, the earthly father of the Lord, was one of the most obedient men in the New Testament. Because the angel would tell him something to do, and as soon as the angel told him to do it, he did it. He didn't question it, he didn't doubt it, and he asked him to do some pretty difficult things. And in Matthew 1.20, the angel told him, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife. Now wait a minute, they weren't married, that's right. She's pregnant, that's right. What are the people of the town going to think? Do it. Do God's will. That was a hard one. That was a very hard one. But you hear in the very next portion, in Matthew 125, he did it. He took Mary as his wife, indeed. Also, the angel told him, you shall call his name Jesus. And then you hear him later in the chapter, and he called his name Jesus. Then the angel told him, arise and take the young child and move over to Egypt. Take him to Egypt. But Lord, this is our homeland. This is Israel. Why would we need to, why should we go to Egypt? But he didn't doubt it. He didn't question it. He says, okay, we're going to go. And he had took him there because Herod was going to kill all the little babies, two and a half years old, all the baby boys around that whole area, and they all were killed. The Lord took Joseph as the leader of that family, took them to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. Then the angel comes again and says, now it's time to go back to the land of Israel. Well, Lord, we're feeling pretty comfortable here. We just settled in. But your word says it. They packed up the next morning and went back to the land of Israel. You see, he was obedient. God told him, do this. He did it. Do it now. Do it immediately. And he did. He's a wonderful example of obedience. And I think when we get to heaven and we meet Joseph, we're going to find a sweet spirit. And he's going to tell this story about how he was so blessed to do God's will and how he did it in immediate obedience. Now, on the other hand, there's some stories in the Bible where somebody didn't do it immediately. And you may think about this from the book of Genesis, Lot. The angel told him, you've got to get out of here. We're going to go because the, the judgment of God is the fiery judgment's going to come down on this wicked place in Sodom and Gomorrah. You've got to get your family. You've got to get out. And he went to his sons-in-law, and they thought he was joking. He was a carnal believer. He was one who got mixed up in the things of this world, and yet he was saved. And so the Lord had to get him out before the judgment came, just like the rapture is going to get us out of this world before the judgment comes during the tribulation. And so the angel came, and, and he saw that Lot hesitated. He hesitated, and so he took Lot by the hand. The angel took him by the hand, and his wife and his kids, and physically removed them out to save them from the judgment. I thought, wow, Lot hesitated. And then his wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. 
So it's sad to say that if we hesitate and don't do God's will and lose the opportunity, our lives are going to be like this. We're going to be weak and we're going to be defeated and we're going to be discouraged because we didn't do God's will. We thought our will was so good. Remember Lot, he liked that land of Sodom so much because it was a well-watered plain there. And he looked at that green grass and the well-watered plain. He says, that's a good place to live. And pretty soon, the next thing you know, he's living in the city of Sodom, one of the most wicked cities there was in those days. God had to get him out, but he hesitated. He didn't do God's will immediately, and God had to deal with him. God wants us to do his will obediently. Sometimes you read in the scriptures and you read of different people and Abraham is one, Joshua is another, Hezekiah is another, and several others. It says when God told them what to do, they arose early in the morning to do it. They didn't wait, wait till breakfast, uh, they finished breakfast, a nice breakfast. They didn't wait till noontime. They didn't go in the early evening or late at night. When God said to do it, they got up early the next day and did God's will. And they were blessed for it. May God give us that desire to say, I'm going to do God's will immediately. So many times, you parents, you say to your children, Johnny, pick up your toys. Johnny keeps on playing. He keeps on playing. He's got them all over the floor. Pick up your toys, Johnny. See, the voice has to get just a little bit louder. Pick up your toys, Johnny. Johnny says, no, I got time. I got time. So he's, he's still playing with those toys. He's not going to pick them up. Johnny, I said pick up those toys. Oh, yeah, I better do it now. Because he knows that mother's going to say it once, softly, a little louder the second time, and the third time he knows he's in trouble if he doesn't do it. We can be like that as Christian children, can't we? The children of God. We say, we've got time. We don't have to do it right away. We're young. There's plenty of opportunities. No, God wants us to do his will immediately, and we will be blessed for it. So many times we can get sidetracked, detoured, and off course in our Christian life if we don't do God's will. If we take a detour and get off the path, either to the right or to the left, and don't continue in that way for the Lord, our lives are going to take a bad turn. We're going to be outside His will, and we've all seen it happen. It's a sad place to be. How would you feel if you were all isolated just by yourself? Nobody around. That's how it feels when you're outside God's will. You just don't feel clean. You don't feel right. You don't have the peace because you know you're not doing God's will. And if you know what God's will is, you've got to do it. You've got to do it willingly. You've got to do it joyfully. And you've got to do it immediately. And finally, you have to do it completely. You know, if you start off to do God's will and leave it unfinished, it's a sad thing. We have some symphonies that are unfinished, like Schubert wrote his eighth symphony. It's called the Unfinished Symphony. It's a beautiful one, but it's unfinished. Mozart was working furiously to finish up his Requiem and didn't get it completed in his life. Sometimes we, we don't get things done. We don't do it completely. Can you imagine what would have happened to Joshua and the people at Jericho if they hadn't taken that seventh lap around the city? Oh, one is enough, two is enough, three is enough, four is enough, five is enough, six is enough. No, God says seven, it has to be seven. You can't cut it. The same is true of Naaman the leper. Remember when the Lord told him to go to the land of Israel and he would be healed of his leprosy? And the prophet told him, go down to the river Jordan and dip yourself how many times? 
seven times. And he was so angry. He said to his servant, why do I have to go to that river Jordan and dip myself in it? Why can't I dip myself in the river back home? We've got better rivers than the Jordan River. Why, why do I have to do it? And it's just humorous because the servant is saying to him, he says, Master, if the, if the prophet had told you to do something really hard, wouldn't, would you have done it? And he said, yeah. Well, he's not asking you to do something really hard. Just, just do it. Just dip yourself seven times. See what happens. So he goes down and he dips himself once. He dips himself twice. Nothing's happening. Dips himself three times, four times, five times, six times. All right, I'm going to do it one more time. And he dips himself seven times, and all of a sudden he comes out of the water and he feels something. His leprous flesh had been cured like the flesh of a little baby. He looked at himself and saw the leprosy was gone. Why? Because he obeyed the will of God completely. He went down the seventh time. So many times in life we say, Lord, you're asking me to do too much. No, it's not too much. Is it too much to come Sunday morning to church? No, it's not too much. Is it too much to come also on Monday night? Is that too much? No, it's not too much. Is it too much to come on Wednesday night too? No, it's not too much. Is it too much to come on Thursday morning to the Bible study? No, it's not too much. Is it not too much to come on Friday nights to the group? You know, we can always think of things to do, things we'd like to do in life, but when we do it God's way and we honor him on those days, he's going to bless us on the other days way more than we would have ever had before. Because as Ada likes to say, God honors those who honor him. And I believe that. When we honor him, he'll honor us if we obey him completely. What would have happened to the widow? The widow in the Old Testament who was told by the prophet Elisha to go out and gather all these vessels, all these vessels to put the oil in. Can you imagine if she said, we don't need all that. I'll just grab a couple here or there and maybe the next door neighbor. No. She went to that neighbor and this neighbor and all over town gathering all the vessels she could. She didn't understand what the miracle was going to be, but God had told her through the prophet, gather as many of these vessels as you can. And she brought them all together and they started filling up that oil. And they filled up all the vessels and they had enough oil. And then the prophet told her, go and sell this oil and take the money and support yourself and your son and you will be blessed. And that's exactly what the Lord does. He moves in mysterious ways. He does things, ways that we can't even think about. He moves in other ways, like another plan he had. And he does some tremendous things. I think also of Saul, though. King Saul in the Old Testament, he was given very specific orders by the Lord. You are to go and kill all these Amalekites. They're wicked, they're evil. Their judgment is coming on them. You're to kill every Amalekite. You're to kill all their animals and everything that they have. Well, Saul started carrying out those orders, and he saw that there were some pretty nice sheep there. Why should we put these sheep to death? These are nice sheep. Let's keep these sheep. So he did. And so he, he didn't obey the Lord fully. And when Samuel came, he says, what is this bleeding of the sheep that I hear? And the lowing of the oxen. Oh, the people spared the best of these animals. And you know how the people are. He didn't even step up and admit that he didn't do God's will. He even greets Samuel and says, Oh, you blessed of the Lord, I have done the will of the Lord. Yeah, right. Partial obedience, folks, is disobedience. If we don't obey 100%, it's disobedience. 
Even if we do 99, we can't say, well, Lord, I did your will 99%. That's good, right? In school, wouldn't that be an A, Shauna? If you did, got 99, that'd still be an A, right? But in God's reckoning, in God's will, 99 is an F. I'm sorry. 100 is an A, and 0 to 99 is an F. How would you like to have that kind of grading in, in the school? The kids would, Adam, would you think they'd like? No, they would not like that at all. But that's the grade scale that God uses. You either do his will 100%, or you do it not at all, because it's, it's not going to count at all. May we have no excuses. May we have no reasons that we can't do God's will. May we not cut corners or take shortcuts or substitute our way of thinking into it. May we do God's will in God's way. Now, there's a humorous little story about the uh, brother of Elizabeth Elliot. Now, she married Jim Elliot, who became a great missionary to Peru and was martyred for his faith. Well, she had a little younger brother, and she tells a story about it. It's very humorous, but it's also very, very needed. It says his mother told him he could play with some paper bags she'd saved as long as she put them away afterwards. One day she walked into the kitchen to find them shrewn all over the floor. Thomas was at the piano with his father singing hymns. See, they're a Christian family. See, you'll see that. When confronted, he protested, but mom, I want to sing. His father stated, it's no good singing God's praise if you're disobedient. And I think there's a real good lesson for that as Christians. We want to serve the Lord. We want to keep busy. We want to do all these things. But if we're disobedient to the Lord's will, he's not going to be able to use us. He's not going to be able to use us. All that we do is not going to count because we're not being obedient to the Lord's will. But when we are obedient, when we do his will, joyfully, willingly, immediately, and completely, when we do that, then God will bless us. I mean, I think of the words that the Lord said to Saul through Samuel. He said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is is, is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Can you imagine those words must have hit Saul Boom, right between the eyes. Now, because I was disobedient and I didn't do God's will, God's going to take my kingdom away from us. But he didn't take it away right away. But he later took it away and gave it to David, who he said was better than him, because David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, but he obeyed the will of God. And even when he sinned, he came back and he confessed it, and the Lord forgave him. David was one who did God's will in these ways. But the Lord wants us to have this as our goal today. And not only today, but every day. 365 days, in fact, this year, we have an extra day to do God's will because it's leap year. So we have 366 days to do God's will. It may be difficult. It may be very hard. It may not be pleasant. It may not be easy to understand. But when we accept God's will and do his will, He will bless our lives so tremendous. He even says in the Old Testament, he says, if you give to me, he says, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you'll not even be able to contain. When we honor God like this and do his will, he's going to pour out blessings on us, on our family, on our church, on everything. It starts with doing his will. 
and serving him. May the Lord help us to do his will today, to do his will every day, to start off in the morning and say, Lord, I'm committed to your will today, whatever it is. Let me do your will, not my will. And he will bless us if we do it willingly, if we do it joyfully, if we do it immediately, and if we do it completely. It takes a commitment. It takes a sacrifice. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. We know in the quietness and peace of our own hearts, if we're willing to make this commitment to the Lord's will and say with the Lord Jesus Christ, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Father, we're so convicted. We're so challenged by your word, Lord, because it's hard. Sometimes you ask us to do difficult things, and sometimes we don't understand why, and sometimes it's not pleasant. But Lord, when we do your will, it's always a blessing. As Paul said in Romans chapter 12, it's good and acceptable and perfect, your will. And we pray that we'd be willing to do it. Please bless our church, Lord. Please give us souls to be saved this year. Help us to pray. Help us to invite people. We pray, Lord, that you will give us uh, more service for you, more faithful service. Help us to do your will from our hearts willingly, joyfully, immediately and completely. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.